A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Uh, and there's something particular I want to talk about this evening. Um, the idea, um, or the ideas that Hitler had, or, or supposedly had, regarding um, the settlement, the, the uh, genocidal colonisation of Russia, um, and the um, mass murder of 30 million Russians, which is the way in which Hitler believed that this would be uh, achieved. In addition, of course, to other genocides, the genocide of the Jews um, and the mass murder of the Poles. Um, the reason why I, I say supposed ideas is because often, if you take together the snippets of things said in Mein Kampf in an often a incoherent way, his statements at kind of after-dinner talks, um, his uh, conversations had secretly with key um, lieutenants and, 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 and allies, uh, and his um, public pronouncements from time to time, of which he was actually exceedingly guarded a lot of the time when it came to his, his um, genocidal ideas. To put it into a kind of a schema of thought, like a, a system of ideas and an ideological structure, is perhaps giving it too much credit. Um, Ian Kershaw talks about Hitler always speaking in generalisations, in speaking in terms of broad visions, rarely going into specifics, rarely going into the nuts and bolts of things. And his eager functionaries interpreting what Hitler said uh, and working towards the Fuhrer, trying to come up with the physical manifestations of what they were pretty confident the Fuhrer actually wanted. So tonight, once again, we're looking at the brilliant book K.L. by Nicholas Bashman, um, and in it he writes, There was a time in the early years of the, after the Second World War 
and historians showed little real interest in Hitler's world view. Writing him off as a madman or an opportunist, they overlooked his core convictions. Um, the historian A.J.P. Taylor famously refers to Hitler as a mountbank, a, a kind of an opportunist. Of course, Hitler's rambling writings and speeches, his interminable monologues over lunch and dinner, never added up to a, systemic, a systematic body of thought. And there continues to be some debate about the extent to which his views dictated the course of the Third Reich. Nonetheless, Hitler clearly held strong political beliefs that guided him and shaped the new Germany he wanted to build. At the very centre of Hitler's world view, together with his fanatical hatred of Jews and Bolsheviks, stood the belief that Germany could not survive without the conquest of living space. Um, in the book Black Earth by um, Timothy Snyder, Timothy Snyder talks about this idea of Laban's realm, living space. And living space could be seen as a kind of like a physical expression, a kind of geographical expression, the idea that there should be spaces for Germans to live uh, and to farm the land and to grow and to build new, new settlements and cities and all this kind of stuff. But also, it could be seen as a reference to standards of living, that there should be, that nobody in the world should have higher standards of living than Aryan Germans, and that um, the, 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 the standards of, the, these high standards of living would come from, in Hitler's view, from colonisation and conquest. Hitler, essentially, his sole economic policy is um, conquer other people and take their resources. Um, and he's generally um, paid very little attention and had little understanding of um, fiscal or, or monetary instruments to stimulate an economy. And instead, he simply saw war as his default um, economy uh, economic strategy. Hitler looked at the living standards that Americans had uh, far beyond, in the 1930s even, far beyond those of Germans, uh, and said to himself, well, how did America achieve this? Well, it was the conquest of the Great Plains. That's where you get lots and lots of cheap corn. Uh, and how did they do that? Well, they disposed of, they essentially wiped out the Native American peoples. Um, and this is what we must do in Russia. And they, the Great Plains of Russia, well, the savages there are the Russians, and we must sweep them away. And this is really what nature um, believes that a, a kind of a strong and mighty and martial people should be able to do. Hitler uh, believed that the, the key aspect of, of historical change, the key agent in historical change, was racial struggle. Um, he's, this is another reason for uh, dismissing Marxist ideas, the um, idea that class is the determinant in history. He said, well, of course it's not. It is race, it's genes, and one people fighting another and conquering another. On the subject of Lebensraum, living space, Rashman writes, Hitler had already made up his mind about this in the mid-1920s, when he still seemed destined for political obscurity. Germany needed to expand, he believed, and its future lay in the East, above all in the Soviet Union, with its vast stretches of land and rich agricultural resources. 
Hitler remained fixated on this goal for the rest of his life. Even as he was cowering in a maze of bunkers under the garden of the Bomberash Chancellery, not longer before his suicide in April 1945, he took feverishly about the German mission to secure living space in the East. Now, there has been, there was a, a school of historians in the 19, from the 1940s to about the 1960s uh, called the Intentionalists that picked up on this fact that Hitler had made pronouncements in the 1920s about Lebensraum and, you know, about doing something about the Jews. And uh, there was a an attempt to draw a kind of like a, a, a linear path from the mid-1920s all the way through to 1945. And it, it's not as simple as that. Um, Hitler might well have dreamt of Lebensraum and genocide in the mid-1920s. But at the time, of course, he's a, a, an obscure, kind of faintly ridiculous uh, figure on the fringes of German politics, uh, not taken seriously whatsoever, and had no possible ability to put any kind of plans uh, into practice. And the one that he tries to put into practice in 1923 fails, fails miserably his attempt at, at seizing the state. Now, no doubt there are all sorts of absurd figures with all sorts of monstrous dreams lurking at the edges of any civilised society um, uh, in any given moment. However, um, there, the, the Weimar Republic experiences this traumatic crisis from 1929 onwards that creates a, a, an unprecedented historical opportunity for someone like Hitler to seize power. Um, the idea that Hitler in the 1920s was even able to predict that he might be able to come to power is very, very unlikely, given his inability to have really foreseen the crisis of 1929. So much of this were the kind of the, the uh, bigoted pipe dreams of a, a kind of a, a marginal political figure who um, was able to take advantage of uh, unprecedented and unforeseen circumstances uh, following the Wall Street crash. So Nicholas Washburn writes, In the summer of 1941, right after the start of Operation Barbarossa, Hitler's dream appeared within, uh, to be within his grasp. Germany was on course for a crushing victory over the Soviet Union, or so it seemed. Within a month of invasion, the Wehrmacht had crossed the Dnieper, taken Smolensk, and closed in on Kiev. On July the 16th, in a top-level conference, Hitler laid out his vision. All the European areas of the Soviet Union would remain in German hands, Hitler announced. We have to turn this newly gained Eastern Territories into a Garden of Eden. Over the coming weeks and months, Hitler fantasised again and again about the glorious future awaiting Germany in the East. His mind kept wandering over his new dominions, daydreaming about towns and cities he would build. In 300 years, Hitler mused, the bare and empty expanses would be flowering landscapes, lording over the remaining Slavic population. The German rulers would live in opulent settlements connected by a network of, a huge, a huge network of roads. If only I could give the German people an idea, Hitler sighed in private, in early September 1941, of what this space means for the future. 
In practical terms, at the height of the war, it meant, or Hitler hoped it would mean, that not only could German living standards and therefore morale be maintained uh, back in the Reich, but also numerous armies could be fed uh, on the battlefront. And this was a huge consideration, uh, given the fact that uh, a Royal Naval blockade in the First World War, even during a time when, following the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, Ukraine had been handed uh, wholesale, plus the Baltic states and Belarusia, had been handed wholesale to Germany uh, to rule. Even then, the Royal Navy was able to bring Germany to its knees using a uh, a military blockade. Ukraine and the other occupied uh, territories during the First World War failed to produce the uh, amounts of resources that were needed um, quickly enough to keep Germany fed, um, especially uh, during the uh, Spring Offensive when huge resources were needed to be shifted to the Western Front for the last push against the British and and the French. Um, The problem, of course, with the Ukraine is that uh, a large number of soldiers had to be held back in order to occupy it. And this then, unfortunately for Ludendorff, bled away troops that were needed for the scale of the offensive that he had planned. Anyway, that's kind of a a digression. But uh, Hitler was acutely aware of the reasons why Germany had lost the previous war, and food was one of them. So um, defeating Russia quickly and colonising the land, and using the workforce, the existing um, workforce there, Ukrainian and Russian peasants as slaves, and then starving 30 million to death in order to create space for German settlers... Um, was um, a, integral to f- what he saw as the, the kind of the end game battle of the war, which would be the defeat of the United States. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. America. 
As I mentioned earlier, one of the um, explanations for the radicalisation of um, genocide was the working towards the Fuhrer model, explained by uh, Ian Kershaw, which meant that yes, Hitler spoke in broad visions and ambitious functionaries interpreted those. Um, here is the role of Heinrich Himmler in that laid out by uh, Nicholas Fashman. One man who needed no convincing was Heinrich Himmler, who was infatuated with the idea of living space. Soon after the German victory in Poland, in autumn 1939, he had travelled across the occupied territory with his friend, his friend Hans Joost, who afterward wrote how the Reichsführer SS, who had studied agriculture as a young man, got out of his car gazed across the fields and picked up some earth. Thus we stood like ancient farmers and we smiled at each other with twinkling eyes. All of this was now German soil. Himmler made it his mission to colonise this soil after Hitler charged him in autumn 1939 with shaping the new German settlement areas through major population transfers, replacing dangerous racial aliens with ethnic Germans. Himmler took his cue from Hitler. Backed by a large new organisation, he oversaw the brutal deportation of hundreds of thousands of Poles and Polish Jews eastwards, as well as the influx of ethnic Germans into the western parts of Nazi-occupied Poland. Now, if you'll go back a few um, episodes, um, I did a podcast. It's the second one I've done. I did one years ago, um, but it's uh, on the um, uh, mass uh, forced migration of uh, German settlers, uh, German colonists, from the um, occupied territories in the East uh, during the Second World War, um, and uh, as the tide of war turns against Germany. These uh, uh, ethnic Germans who had been settled in places like Poland and also Germans who had lived all across Eastern Europe and into parts of Russia for decades, even centuries, were forced to flee uh, in the advancing, uh, as the Red Army um, uh, advanced. And it resulted in the biggest mass exodus of the 20th century with some 15 million people crossing from um, east to west. Uh, and... Um, some 500,000 dying along the way. And the uh, Germans who had been kicked out of Eastern Europe, um, some, again, with long, long ancestries there, um, and many who wanted to return there after the war, became a, a very troublesome body within post-war West Germany to the Chancellor Konrad Adenauer, uh, and they made up a kind of a, an ethnic body called the Volksdeutsche. Nicholas Waschmann writes again, after the German invasion of the Soviet Union, Himmler lost no time in staking his claim on these possessions too. As the head of the Nazi terror apparatus, Himmler was in charge of policing the newly, newly conquered areas. And, as the Reich Commissioner for the strengthening of the German people, he tried to transform his territory along the lines of Nazi racial thinking. On June the 24th, 1941, just two days after the German invasion, 
him had charged his chief planner, Professor Conrad Meyer, with drawing up a blueprint for a new settlement planning in the east. Himmler's men set to work on the so-called General Plan East, or General Plan Ost, which gained over the coming weeks and months a truly monstrous proportions. It aimed to reconstruct the entire face of Eastern Europe. The SS planners did not advocate cosmetic changes, but butchery, with whole cities raised, vast regions germanized, and tens of millions of civilians deported, enslaved and killed. These plans for Germany's colonial future required a gigantic construction effort, an assignment tailor-made for the expanding SS economy under Oswald Pohl. By early 1942, Himmler had put Pohl in charge of all SS peacetime building projects in the East, a huge task that included the construction of dozens of new bases across the former Soviet Union. And there, there is something quite telling about the fact that the um, Soviet Union would in many ways become an, an SS empire um, and it would be it, the uh, role of colonising the Soviet Union had been left to Himmler and so uh, Himmler took every opportunity to make it essentially to reshape it as an SS project. In December of 1941, for example, Pohl had come to Himmler with a comprehensive post-war building project, a building program, um, for a, across Nazi-occupied uh, Europe. Um, the cost of this was enormous. It was 13 billion Reichsmarks, which would have been into the hundreds of billions today. Um, half of it was earmarked purely for the SS, uh, and to be spent on building infrastructure in Russia bases, roads, uh, fortifications, everything that the SS uh, would be thought to, to, to have needed. But, in, but Himmler himself rejects these plans in January 1942, um, saying that they are too cautious, too, too moderate. He said to Pohl to think bigger. Himmler lectured Pohl, to create the mammoth settlements with which we will make the East German. At Himmler's insistence, writes uh, Vashman, the SS building programme went through ever more gargantuan drafts over the coming months. Much of the project building work was supposed to be carried out by concentration camp prisoners, so this new empire would be built by slaves. This made economic sense, as far as the SS leaders were concerned. The war had severely strained Germany's financial resources, Himmler reminded Pohl, and the German state would have to spend prudently after a victorious war. At the same time, the SS plans could not wait. Himmler's solution was simple. Costs would be kept down by upping production in SS quarries and brick factories, uh, places like Mauthausen, um, and... Um, and Flossenberg, I think, was the, the brick site, and Mauthausen was the quarry. This vision was grounded. This vision was grounded in colonial euphoria and genocidal utopianism that gripped the SS, from the highest echelons down to the foot soldiers, like the Mauthausen Hauptscharführer, who ordered prisoners to draw detailed plans for a castle in Crimea. 
Like all true zealots, the SS believers wanted to turn their dreams into reality as fast as possible. Even though their most ambitious plans were scheduled for after the war, they felt that construction should start straight away. After all, they expected a swift victory. And because prisoners were critical to their plans, they set out to transform the camp system itself. So much of this is similar to the kind of the, the gargantuan building projects that Hitler imagined for um, the new Berlin, um, uh, the uh, capital of his, the new state of Germania that um, Hitler believed would exist after the war. And Hitler's new Berlin was design- was going to be um, once again built by slave labour and built by the inmates of the uh, the camps, not just the wartime death camps, but the um, existing concentration camp system, which was fundamentally uh, a, a, a different beast. Um, of course, towards the end of the war, the uh, the concentration camp system and the death camp system really kind of merge into one. So these ideas, there's a, a lot that Timothy Snyder has to say about this in his book Bloodlands, which is a, an excellent read. That These ideas all come crashing down on contact with reality when the Soviet Union doesn't crumble, when Soviet armies aren't encircled and destroyed, when the hunger plan uh, to starve 30 million Russians to death uh, doesn't succeed, um, and when the general plan Ost doesn't commence. And when these um, utopias collapse, the one remaining racial design that had not actually been at the top of the list was the mass murder of the Jews. By late 1941, the uh, decision to do something final about the Jews begins to go from priority number four or five up to priority number one. The understanding from early 1942 onwards is that the war won't be swiftly won against the USSR. Many commanders privately matter that it can't be won at all. If it can't be won quickly, it can't be won at all. And so the emphasis of the war becomes something else. Uh, Initially, the genocide of the Jews would perhaps have taken place after the war, would have been the unfinished business uh, of the war. But now, um, in order to present something salvageable from the mess, so argues Timothy Snyder, it becomes the sole and supreme priority. There are different explanations for the decision for the final solution in 1942, but that one's quite a compelling argument, I would say. Anyway, let's finish there. Uh, thanks very much for listening, and I would like to say a huge, huge thank you to the uh, new subscribers to the Explaining History Patreon uh, this week. Uh, Yusuf Weisman and Stephen Merriman uh, thanks so much and thanks to all the other patrons uh, that have come on board um, and have really helped to fund the podcast 
to keep it coming out to you guys. So we really, um, it's a huge, huge help. Um, we're very, very, I'm very, very, very grateful indeed. Um, anyway, thanks so much, and um, do check out the Patreon if you can. You can visit it and all the rest of the content we've got at www.explaininghistory.org, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 